Hey, this is Shannon from Slapdash, and this episode is sponsored by 606 Iron. Located in the Big M Plaza in Whitley City, Kentucky, 606 Iron has cardio equipment, free weights, numerous weight training machines, weekly kettleball classes, and tanning beds. Stop by 606 Iron for membership information or call 606-310-4918. History, art, science, and everything else. They slap down a new topic and dash off to next. It's a great big world with so much to know. Like cryptids, time travel, and the history of Poe. If you want to be a smarty, better learn something fast. With Shannon and Jason on Slapdash Podcast. On today's episode, we are discussing classic movie monsters. Across the table is a man wrapped in bandages, howling at the moon, and searching for his next victim near the Black Lagoon. <laughs> Jason Creekmore's monster, how are you? When you, uh, I think you took care of that there, right? You got them all. That did I them all? <laughs> I think you pretty much took care of them all. Yeah. I don't uh, know if I got a Dracula reference in there, but... Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let it slide this okay. one time. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, I just liked hanging out by the lagoon and uh, waiting <laughs> for some uh, innocent, unsuspecting uh, townsfolk, you know. Just to, to wander show by? up. Yep. Yeah. That's kind of what I do. What is a lagoon? What makes a lagoon different than like a lake or something? I mean, is there something supernatural that it has to be a lagoon? You Seem, know? Seems much more tropical somehow. I don't know if, if that's even the right word, but for what reason yeah lagoon just seems like oh man this is something's going to go down here at, at a lagoon it does yeah. yeah not the lake i guess yeah you've got you know Loch Ness monster and some of that stuff right. but somehow lagoon is yeah. just i don't know it's kind of weird yeah but on this episode we are specifically focusing on the classic monsters created for film by universal pictures between 1920 and 1950 the classic movie monsters were the first shared universe in the entire movie industry in hollywood and around the world and jason's shared universe means that all of the monsters were supposed to exist in the same reality it was common for the monsters to appear in each other's movies similar to how the the marvel cinematic universe created the avengers movies Right, so everybody's always popping up in everybody's right. movie. You've got your traditional Dracula, you've got Frankenstein, you've got the mummy, and then you've got Frankenstein meets Dracula, the Wolfman meets the mummy. Right. And all these know, combinations, right? All kinds yeah. of combinations. They, they kind of went crazy with the sequels, and you wonder today, like with stuff like Friday the 13th, how they kind of feel like, man, they've got like a bunch of sequels. It all started like in the 1920s through the 50s. That's, right. that's yeah. when that really yeah. kicked off. It really did. Yeah. So, so, Jason, are these monsters still scary today? I mean, these classic black and white universal pictures monsters i don't think they're scary no i think they're interesting i yeah. guess you know when i go back and watch these and and i think i've watched either all these movies that we're going to talk about on these monsters or at least bits and pieces sure. you know, of them i don't really think any of them honestly are scary i don't know if if you do or not i think the <laughs> stories are interesting the stories are great and, and it's yeah. and it's interesting to just kind of watch them sort of like uh as as an art form mm-hmm. to kind of see oh this is what movies look like back then right. and 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 obviously some of them are, are based on novels so they're really cool they're interesting Mm -hmm. but i don't i wouldn't i wouldn't really qualify them as scary i think they've lost that appeal a little bit especially with uh, what we have in modern day but i'm like you i really appreciate them for the art form yeah as i was going back and preparing for this episode i watched a few of these and i could really appreciate some of the nuance between the different movies and the things they attempted 
you know, yeah. it, it was kind yeah. of newer, and certainly you can see those effects reverberated in in like the newer pictures. Right. You know? um, of course, they're not black and white; these were. Yeah. So that's that's a key difference there. But we're going to kind of go through a few of these different movies and talk about the creatures themselves, and we're going to start with probably the most famous one, and that is good old Dracula. Oh, he has to be the king, right? He does. Yeah. yeah. So Universal Pictures released Dracula in 1931, and as far as classic monsters go, Dracula easily has had the most significant impact on horror movies. I think that's that's probably safe to say that that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, the 1931 film starred Bela Lugosi and was based on the Bram Stoker's uh, novel of, of the same of the same name. So a couple of interesting points in this movie. We've discussed this on actually various various different episodes that we've had on this podcast. Oh yeah, uh, Dracula is no stranger to slap dash. That, that's exactly he's, right. He's been here sometimes. And, and, and Dracula wasn't really the first vampire movie. Uh, obviously, we've talked about Nosferatu, which I think right. came out about nine years earlier. Sure. Uh, that was also black and white. Uh, there were some legal issues you know, with, with that one. Uh, but Dracula really kind of did things the right way, right? They got mm-hmm. permission to to uh, use the characters, use the names. Uh, they had sound. It, it, was, it was a much better like, overall production. But there were a, a few interesting notes when you think about the, the 1931 version of Dracula. The, the man who played Jonathan Harker, who was also in some of these other movies that we'll talk about, uh, his name was David Manners. And David Manners actually died in 1998, having never watched the movie. Really? Yeah. I, I saw that on several different sources. And he died in 98. That... He died in 1998. Oh, wow. And he played Jonathan Harker, uh, was, was a young man in 1931. When this was when this was made, died in nineteen ninety eight, and and all reports say for whatever reason he never watched the movie, and he never said why. It just never, never really said never why happened. No, and he also played in other movies, huh? But for whatever reason, he did not uh, watch this movie, and he was actually paid more than Bela Lugosi. Really? When you think of Dracula, you think Bela Lugosi is oh, the star. Right? He's, he's Dracula. He's yeah. yeah. But in this movie, David Manners actually received more money. Uh, to pl- to play Jonathan Harker than Bela Lugosi did to play Dracula, hmm. uh, but anyway, died in 1998. Never really bothered watching the classic that wow. he starred in. 98 feels like yesterday, though it was 22 it's years ago. 22 years ago, yeah. Wow. When you say 98, you're like, well, that's not too. F- oh well, yeah, yeah, it's been a little it's while. It's been right? a while. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. Uh, Another interesting point is that this this movie actually had uh, an epilogue. We've talked about this before at, mm-hmm. at the end of the movie, uh, where basically someone just kind of calls, you know, comes out. He he talks to the, the audience uh, directly. I think that's referred to as what's that breaking the, the uh, breaking the fourth the wall. fourth yeah, yeah where you're you're literally talking to the. He kind of has a soliloquy or yeah, something it's like, like that. You know, ladies and gentlemen, before <laughs> going home, you know yeah, yeah. that type of thing. And and basically he was just trying to uh, make them paranoid right before sure. they left. Like if if you hear a noise, it probably is dragging. Dracula. It's probably Dracula coming to get you. Yeah, and uh, if, you, so, if you have any property, especially got, <laughs> he's a, he's a big fan of real estate, folks. If, if if you live in Great Britain and have any property, <laughs> you know odds are if you hear like a bump in the night, mm-hmm. maybe Dracula. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, he he wants to rent some. Uh, he wants to rent your flat, as he they does. would say. But that whole entire scene was totally pulled because uh, there was some pushback and a little bit of fear that that particular epilogue was sort of, uh, I guess, supporting the idea of the belief of the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Even though we've kind of joked, we just watched an entire movie about a vampire, sure. right? So, yeah. But but we really just can't say you know just you know go home and make sure you don't hear any sounds, and if you do, it's probably a vampire. You know <laughs> that was pulled, which I thought was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Lon Chaney. 
uh, was uh, the the director's first choice to play Dracula, which oh, I thought was a little bit odd. He went on to play some other roles, which we'll talk about he, here soon. He did. Uh, and what was interesting about this is that uh, Cheney died. Uh, he ultimately died of a throat hemorrhage. Really? Which I thought was a little bit interesting with, with Dracula. Yeah. And yeah, but that's that's what he passed that's away. Of. Yeah. So Jason, you and I went and watched Dracula the stage play. To, we uh, did at uh Actors Theater, Actors in, Theater in Louisville. In Louisville. Yep. And it was pretty cool. And the thing that stood out to me is whenever Dracula would say his own name, he would be like Dracula. Yeah. Dra- <laughs> I'm Dracula. Dracula. If any of them are scary, he he kinda is in, in such a cerebral way because a lot of the other yeah. monsters don't talk. They're monsters. They, they're literal They're monsters sort of like an animal kind of sure yeah. but he actually has intelligent things to say and that makes it a little takes it to a different level right a little bit uh that, that particular play that you mentioned uh, that was one of the cooler things i've ever watched if, yeah. if uh if our listeners ever get an opportunity to go to actor's theater in in louisville uh particularly the the dracula play it's it is well worth the money because oh, yeah. you know, i was going in expecting a five and i got like a nine and a half oh it's really good it was really really good and i also noticed uh to plug another theater if you've ever heard of the uh, the barter theater that which is in uh abington virginia mm-hmm. and uh that that's a place right now that actually has a uh, dracula and and one other horror uh, play i think that, that they're showing right now but that's a pretty cool little place there too just on a little sidebar uh, conversation that it's called barter theater because when people would come by there if they didn't have money to spend the night they had to act to oh, to, to get in basically pay for their room and board Oh, wow. And that's how the whole idea of barter theater came in. So it, it, it's a pretty big uh, travel site. People come there and watch you know, a lot of plays and stuff. So That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. So the next monster up on the list is the creature from the Black Lagoon. There he is. Uh, do, do you know the, the creature from the Black Lagoon? Yeah. Now, I wanna, I'll just be perfectly honest. Of all these creatures we're going to talk about tonight, right? Mm-hmm. The creature from the Black Lagoon's hands... <laughs> Probably scare me more than anything. Oh, big time. Those are some messed up hands. They sure are. Yeah. They're, they're webbed. I want nothing and, to do with long. that. Yeah, I don't like to touch fish. Yeah. I really don't like to touch fish that no. have like scales or spikes or teeth. Or That's just not, I don't do that. It's just weird. Yeah, it's just weird. I, I'm not touched. I think I would rather fight Dracula than, than the <laughs> creature from the Black Lagoon. Now, I, I was very familiar with the character of the creature from the Black Lagoon, but I'd never seen this until last night. I just kind of pulled it up on my laptop, turned it on, and, and watched the whole thing. It's about a minute and 20, or sorry, an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> That's a quick movie. It's, it's about a minute long. <laughs> uh, but no, it's it's about an hour and 20 minutes, and I really enjoyed it. I didn't know what to you know think going in, didn't know what to expect, it being an older movie, certainly in black and white. It's not a horror movie in the traditional sense, like you're not right. going to go into it and be worried that something's going to jump out of the shadows at right. you or anything, especially this thing. It's we'll not a psychological thing. No, no, no. no not at all but you can certainly appreciate the art and this movie was released in 1954 the movie was filmed in 3d which to me just kind of blows my mind in the 1950s really? we're doing 3d uh, but by this time the 3d fad was on the decline so actually 3d hmm. was much more popular at the beginning of the 1950s so most of the audiences who watched this film watched it in 2d and i believe the the 2d was released in smaller neighborhoods and then they released 3d in sort of the bigger districts and those hmm. sort of things and they had these black and white lenses that you would put on because it was a black and white show and i thought that was kind of interesting it's too. pretty cool you know, just a, another layer to it the movie produced two sequels 
Revenge of the Creature in 1955, <laughs> noting that that was one year later. <laughs> right? okay. So this is this is Friday the 13th. Pretty level quick turnaround. Sequel right. turnaround. Yeah, and the creature walks among us in 1956. <laughs> one year after that, I kind of imagine like on that one, he's just a little more sophisticated, <laughs> like maybe a tie, you know, with like some some uh, you know uh, tennis shoes or something sure. like that. Yeah, but the, but it's the like rest of day told, job. Told, yeah, be still totally creature, except maybe for like some glasses and a cardigan or something. Oh, that'd be you know? great. Just walk into a pet store and be greeted by the creature from yeah. the Black Lagoon. The plot is straightforward. Researchers have found remnants of a mysterious animal in a remote jungle, so a second expedition is carried out to see if the discovery was an anomaly or evidence of an undiscovered beast. And it would have been a much uh, worse movie if it was, you know, oh, well, nothing there, folks. We didn't find anything. <laughs> a false alarm. It was an anomaly. <laughs> Probably would have been a one-minute movie I, at that point. I, I love how this movie begins because now it's it's been probably over a year since I've watched this. Mm-hmm. So you may have to kind of correct me if I'm wrong here sure. or help me. But isn't it like a very early on? I mean, like right after the opening credits, like you just see a big hand, like just come <laughs> out of the, that, that big god-awful hand I'm talking about. Yeah. Come out, like maybe grab something off a off a tree or a trail or something and then kind of go back into the water. I mean, it's like 10 seconds into the movie. <laughs> that happens. That, yeah. that absolutely I remember happens. that. I thought so. I actually made a note on my paper and you see it right here. It's just called The Hand. The Hand. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it, it's 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 uh, it's an effective technique because I it remembered is. it. Yeah, it sticks out and, you know, we'll just talk about it. The, the Hand just appears <laughs> at random times throughout the movie. You know, it, it happens at the start, in the middle. Uh, you know, it's people will be talking and and nothing about the creature per se is going on and then all of a sudden you'll just see this webbed hand oh. reach through the window and start scraping around <laughs> and and for the most part nobody notices it's just like the creature is just going on and and you never see like what this hand is connected to you know eventually of course you see the monster but during these scenes i guess it's meant to like build suspense in the best way that they could in the 1950s right, yeah. sometimes you'll see it just reaching up on the beach and kind of grabbing the sand and pulling it back underwater uh, or, or you'll see it just grabbing the boat that this team is on and the team's just going on with their life man they're just talking about we're going to discover things it's going to be yeah. fun and the creature's just kind of groping the, the scenery <laughs> the ground. and I love the I love the, the entire setting because they're basically it's like this ragtag group of people yeah. that are like on a pontoon that's all it is and and the water the depth of the water looks like it might be like 12 feet that's it or, you know because yeah. he's like walking on the bottom right and he's like messing with their lines and yep. the anchor and all this stuff and it's like sure. you know he's just directly below you he's literally <laughs> just down there and meanwhile they're they're fitting on scuba gear to go after him. <laughs> he's like there, like looking at his watch underwater like come on fellas like, where are these guys at but during the expedition the team meets what we've been discussing the the infamous gill man as he's called in, <laughs> yeah. in the credits, the creature. He's a human-fish hybrid that inhabits a waterway in South America known affectionately as the Black Lagoon. Sounds yeah. great to me. Yeah. So the Gilman kills several people on the expedition and is finally wounded before jumping into the lagoon and disappearing from sight. The movie just ends here. Like, at the end, they uh, hurt the monster. They wound him. He jumps into the lagoon and just sort of starts free-falling a little bit <laughs> underwater. Right. And then 
that's it. Like the credits roll. Like we don't get to see if the team actually make it out of the lagoon because they were trapped. He pulled some weeds across their path or something. It's kind of silly when you look at <laughs> right. it. There's, there's a branch in our way. You know, they, they, it's like they can't get by. They can't get out of the lagoon. They're trapped. Uh, and but yeah, he just basically falls deep into the water, and then literally a screen just balloons up and says the end. And then one year later, we have his revenge. <laughs> we have the revenge, and he's walking among us. Right, you know, yeah. So that's pretty cool. But a few things to point out here. First is that costume. Although the movie itself is not scary, the costume is kind of creepy. Yeah, the costume got my attention. It does. Uh, I mean, even in the 1950s, because I, I think it's so different, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're thinking about, okay, this is some kind of you know man-fish hybrid type thing, mm-hmm. that might be what that would look like if that were to occur. Oh, it's pretty dead you know? on yeah. for, for like the 1950s. Yeah. And it, it kind of reaches what's called the uncanny valley. And that's a scientific yeah. term that is like if you're looking at a graph, there's a point at which something looks close enough to like being human, but it's just enough off think about like puppets and mannequins and stuff like that that it almost creates a sense of repulsion and and that's biological because we are trained to kind of look at people and if they have some kind of disfigurement like this creature certainly would we're we're sort of trained to be put off by that a little bit and that's the feeling that this creature costume is is kind of putting off it's really well made Um, it is yeah and there's several scenes where you can see it breathing like it'll open its mouth have you ever watched like a goldfish kind of like sucking air in a tank yeah i have actually i I don't don't know like maybe (laughs) like recently (laughs) have you you sat and watched that i had some free time two nights ago so i just got an option (laughs) but no i mean this mask is so well done it just has like it's almost like there's a guppy head sitting on the shoulders of a man dressed in a fish costume and he just he'll look at the camera and obviously he has no other expression besides just opening that mouth closing that mouth and then he has like these gills on the side of his head that'll kind of feather out yeah and feather back. it's creepy that, that it's that's kind of weird that's a little weird yeah another thing i'll mention are the underwater scenes and of course this is the creature from the black lagoon but man i didn't realize how many underwater scenes there would be in this movie oh there's several they are underwater and i don't know if this was like a new technology at the time and they thought all right let's take this for a spin boys we're going underwater we're filming (laughs) all of this underwater but it was like 50 percent of the movie were like these hazy camera shots of people flailing in the dirt on the bottom of the lagoon (laughs) with this creature just groping at them i bet people are like yeah they're underwater i guess so but to be honest from you know and this is just my perspective 70 years later later so how (laughs) dare i hate on this but it was kind of overdone i mean just the underwater stuff i really appreciated it when they got on the land so maybe that's why the third one is the creature walks among us people are like we gotta get this guy walking a little bit more let's get him out of the water a little bit but the last thing i'll mention is that on this team there's a um i think there's like four or five men and then there's one girl and it seems like the girl really doesn't have a big part except all she does is scream there's like three or four <laughs> just like ear splitting screams where it just kind of zooms in on her and the yeah. creatures after she'll faint ever so often okay. and then finally she gets captured and the gill man doesn't try to kill her that's the weird thing it's like he is actively murdering people on this team but when it comes to the girl she faints falls over and he's just like Oh, well, and he picks her up, picks like her, carries yeah. her into his secret cave. Sort of like King Kong. Just like King Kong. Yeah. That's a good, good kind, comparison. Kind of interesting. Yeah. 
So that's really all I have to say about the Gill Man. Who's up next, Jason? We have a little monster, actually a big monster, named Frankenstein. Frankenstein, Franken- huh? Frankenstein. Frankenstein debuted in 1931 at the same year as Dracula and starred uh, Boris Karloff as the grotesque Frankenstein monster. Of course, the story is based on the Mary Shelley novel from 1818. That's been a while. That's been a little bit. It's over 200 years now. What about that? I mean, that's, that's been a little while he, ago. He stuck around. Most recently, it was like Frankenweenie. Frank- uh, was there an animated <laughs> movie, Frankenweenie? Yeah. I don't know if that's Tim Burton. It, well, or, I was thinking Tim Burton, but maybe I don't it know. It looks it was, like Tim Burton. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sold on it yeah, if it is. But. It's a pretty good movie. Yeah, pretty cool. But this particular uh, book and movie explored science fiction, uh, horror, and really the overall human condition and makes the reader or viewer consider a creature's innocence versus its overall danger. Mm. So the uh, of course if if you have never read or if you're not familiar with the Frankenstein story, actually Frankenstein's not the monster's name really. It's that's right. It's the scientist's name. And I really Realize that way too late in life. Yeah. I'll be honest. It's actually Frankenstein's monster, and they refer to him as, you know, the monster or it yeah. and different things. His, his real name's just Steve. He's, He's like, why does nobody call me Steve? <laughs> That's right. You know? Steve, Steve Gilman. That's what it <laughs> yeah. is. So basically, you have Dr. Frankenstein, who, like all crazy maniacal scientists, uh, they want to create life, right? Sure. Like in, in, a, in a castle with lightning striking I was going to say, down. they just like to cackle during the lightning storm. <laughs> it's alive! Yeah. Which I always love that line. That's good. Uh, so he basically creates Frankenstein out of body parts, right? Out of spare body parts that he goes and he, he digs up and so forth. And so it's time to put a brain in. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are two brains that are available. Uh, one is an, an average brain. Yeah. And the other is like the brain of like a criminal murderer type person. Oh. And and so Dr. Frankenstein sends his assistant to go get the regular normal brain. Mm-hmm. He drops it. Oops. He messes with it. So he whoopsie. has to bring in the other brain back, right? <laughs> he so, you know, here, doctor, it's normal, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And he puts it in, and it's not normal. Uh, right. But what's interesting is that, uh, you know, in, in the movie, when Frankenstein wakes up, all right, he, he comes to life, uh, he's really not, like, evil per se. Mm. He's really sort of semi-innocent and, and childlike. Right. He's just massive. You know, he's just huge. So basically, they try to kind of mess with him a little bit, right? They kind of scare him with fire, and then they, they realize he freaks out. Sure. They realize how strong and big he is and, and, and what a danger he could be. So they lock him up. They decide to kill him, right? This has all been a mistake. We shouldn't have done this. They think they kill him. He wakes up. He escapes. And in perhaps the most cringeworthy mm-hmm. scene of the movie, and you may know what I'm talking about here, uh, and honestly, one of the most cringeworthy moments probably in movie history for me in terms of horror movies, and I know this sounds silly because there's no blood involved, I don't know that I can recall, but there's this scene on a beautiful day mm-hmm. where Frankenstein is sitting out by like a pond. Oh, sure. With this little girl. Yep. And so Frankenstein looks awful, right? I mean, he's he's Frankenstein as you would think Frankenstein well, would be. He's a sewed piece of corpse. He's just, yeah. I mean, he's just awful looking. And then you have this little girl who's like, "Well, hello, sir," and she thinks that's totally normal. Yeah. Uh, he, you know, enjoys that. He sits down, and they begin to throw little flowers into the pond, right? Oh, and yeah. they watch the flowers float, and they're like, "Oh, yay!" And then all of a sudden, they're out of flowers, right? And so Frankenstein just. <laughs> And just throws her in the water. Yep. You know, he just throws her in there because I guess he thinks, okay, she'll float too. 
and that's kind of like that's kind of getting into the whole it thing right there. Say, but yeah. yeah, they all float down. They all here. float down here, and, Georgie. And 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 obviously the you know Sally the little girl passes away, and of course that's later found out in the movie, and and they they kind of go after him, right? So uh, ultimately uh, he goes up on top of this like big massive windmill type mm-hmm. thing, and here the, come the pitchforks and, and the villagers, pitchforks in the fire, and and they they burn it down, right? And that's that's kind of an end. So that's sort of the the summary, the the the, the quick synopsis of, of Frankenstein. But some interesting points behind that. The book started to be written in 1818, and it uh, actually took until uh, until about 1820 before it was published. And of course, Mary Shelley was the author. She was uh, 18 years old when she began. I know the that's book. incredible. I think she was about 20, or either had just turned 20 or was getting ready to turn 20 when she finished it. So she mm. began this classic when she was 18 years old. And what's really interesting about this is that uh, have you ever heard of Mount Tabora? No, not Mount Tabor. Mm. Okay, so it was uh, basically a volcano that erupted in 1818. Uh, it, it was in Indonesia, but it really messed basically with that entire side of the Earth, that whole hemisphere. It messed with their uh, temperatures, uh, rainfall, all kinds of things. And so basically, they they referred to that uh, that year as the year without summer. In 1818. Oh, gosh. So uh, Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley, Lord Byron, a gentleman named uh, John, I think it's P- Palladori. Palladori, I think. Yeah. So they all got together. You know, they're all friends. They're there. There's nowhere to go. We're all kind of, it's sort of like a, an, uh, an unofficial snow day where they're all snowed in, right? Right. So they basically say, hey, I have a game. Let's all write and see who can write the scariest uh, ghost story is how they refer to it as. Mm-hmm. And it was like one, two, three, go. And so, uh, obviously, it took a couple of years, but I think Frankenstein was the winner, although there was an interesting runner-up. Uh, Palladori, in, and again, in 1818, wrote a novel called Simply the Vampire. Oh, sure. Obviously, about 70 years later, that was the inspiration for Bram Stoker's Dracula. So when you think about vampire novels, instantly it's Bram Stoker, right? But but actually it wasn't the it wasn't the first. Mm-hmm. And when you act and I haven't read that novel, but I have read uh, summaries of it. And I've read about it. And when you read that story, that's a really interesting story. You know, there, there's definitely some similarities between that and, and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh yeah, some good but, inspiration there. Yeah, but it's pretty cool. But but Frankenstein, I mean. Golly, I mean, overall, when I was a kid, I thought maybe he was the coolest monster just because, you know, the, the bolts out of his neck. Oh, yeah. You know, and just that hair. I thought, how do you get your hair so flat and so slick at the same time? I mean, it was incredible, you know. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. And like the Munsters. I, remember I was going to say, up, I think about Herman Munster. Oh, I love the Munsters. The whole, that whole family. Yeah, I absolutely great. love the Munsters. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so Frankenstein is, is one of my favorites. Uh, there's been different renditions of that. I think there was a movie called I, Frankenstein. There was, what was the movie with, with Hugh Jackman, Van Helsing? Oh, yeah. And so there were several, I think pretty much all of these folks mm-hmm. were kind of in, involved in that story. Was Frankenstein part of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, maybe too? I know that they had a lot of like mythical creatures in there. I think so, yeah. I think I he think might have been part of yeah. that. So you know, Frankenstein has has appeared in different movies, sort of in different ways and in, in, in different manners. But uh, but definitely, when you're talking about classical classical monsters, Frankenstein big time has to be one of. And he had a bride, one. right? At some point, he did, and she had quite the hairdo. She sure did. She had quite the. Yeah. Do you know what would look good on her? I don't. What some some uh, slapdash merchandise. <laughs> That's pretty good right there. That's a nice segue. I appreciate that. How could she go about acquiring such? Well, what she could do is take a break, like right now from this podcast, and then she could go and look at said slapdash merchandise, I don't know, on maybe the World Wide Web, something like that, maybe the internet. Let's point her in the right direction. Just do it. 
Hey everyone, we're happy to announce that the podcast now has a merchandise store. Shannon, everyone loves hoodies and everyone loves coffee. Yeah, and you can pick up a nice slapdash hoodie or a slapdash mug and drink your next cup of joe right out of a slapdash cup. (laughs) We also have t-shirts and stickers. Yeah, we do. So come on by and log on to www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. That's www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. Welcome back. We are discussing classic movie monsters, and thus far we've talked about Dracula, the Gill Man from Creature from the Black Lagoon. We've talked about Frankenstein, and that leads us up to the Phantom of the Opera. And actually, he was one of the first. So chronologically, this guy is the OG classic monster. (laughs) He was numero uno. (laughs) He was, yeah, he was literally one of the first. The Phantom of the Opera was released in 1925 and was a silent horror film adaptation of Gaston LaRue's 1910 novel, Le Phantom de l'Opera. Good job. Hey, like that. I like this pretty good. (laughs) The film starred Lon Chaney as the Phantom, and uh, Lon Chaney's son, Lon Chaney Jr., would later portray the Wolfman 20 years later. Wow. So just kind of classic movie monsters in the family tradition. Kind of in the blood, as they say. Must be. So in this movie, it really closely follows the novel, and uh, I'm a big fan of the novel. It's on my bookshelf. It's something I read going through college. and I've never read it. It's really good. Never read And uh, I'm also a fan of the 2004 remake that's based on Andrew Lloyd Webber's The Phantom of the yeah. Opera. Uh, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But for this plot, aspiring young opera singer Christine Daae discovers that she has a mysterious admirer intent on helping her become a lead performer. This masked presence is Eric, also known as The Phantom, has a perfectly normal name there eric with the k you know because he's a little bit mysterious right yeah you know eric with a c i know who that is but yeah. eric with a k all I'll right go. now you've got my attention yeah. <laughs> go keep her eye on this guy that's right he's a horribly disfigured recluse who lives underneath the paris opera house and he's a scary guy the phantom takes christine as a prisoner and demands her devotion and affection christine's suitor raul <laughs> sets out to rescue her i always love raul's name because i've only seen pieces of the 1925 version here i watched right. some of it today actually but i've seen the 2004 remake several times and i'm not a fan of raul <laughs> because he's he's the original guy who's her suitor the guy who wants to marry her he's kind of rich and snobbish a little bit and the phantom man at least in the remake he's just uh he's just a nice down on his luck you know sort of lover not a fighter kind of guy <laughs> i don't mean to kidnap you <laughs> that's right I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. <laughs> Raul always sweeps in and kind of lays the lays the whooping on him, you know. And it's it's kind of sad in a way, yeah. you know. I just don't like Raul for whatever reason. But by the end of the film, old Raul has saved Christine from the Phantom because he has to, right? He's right. the knight in shining armor, and the Phantom is thrown into a river where he drowns. Poor Phantom. Maybe he's saved by Gilman. Oh, I like that. <laughs> Gilman meets Phantom of the Opera. That's pretty good. That's yep. that's where that story could kick off. But there's a few takeaways here. First of all, as I've said, you know, there's a comparison to be made between this 1925 version and the 2004 remake with Gerard Butler. You know Gerard Butler? Yeah, of, uh, I, I like him. 300 King oh, yeah. Leonidas fame. Yeah. He's pretty good. And I, I like him. He's actually hard to recognize in that 2004 version. Uh, he's got his hair kind of slicked back, and he's oh, really? wearing uh, like a tuxedo, and he's like a younger guy. He's shaved. Uh, shaven so he doesn't have like the typical so, no, does, so who does he play 
Is he Raul? He's, he's or the is, Phantom. Or is he the, okay, he's the Phantom. Okay. Yeah, he's the Phantom. So in the 1925 version, it's a lot closer to the novel. The 2004 version was supposed to be more of a romanticized version of it. And in the 25 version, the Phantom is seriously disfigured. I mean, the makeup and the special effects is just some of the best had, that had ever been seen in cinema up to that point. And he has the appearance of like an outright monster who is trying to enslave a young girl. He, he even makes her call him Master. I mean, it's just, it's over the top. Way over it's the top. Yeah. way over the top. In the 2004 version, the Phantom is more of a hopeless romantic who looks handsome and, and kind of broody behind that mask a little bit. <laughs> and, uh, and and really, it's, it's the old movie trope where like when he takes the mask off, he's suddenly ugly or whatever. But he doesn't look that much different. It's like, um, I forget the name of the movie, maybe... Um, I can't remember, but it, it but it's like every movie where there's like a girl who has her hair put up and has glasses on, and they give her a quote makeover, and all they oh. do is like take her hair down and take the glasses and off. Like, who are you? All of a sudden, they're like, she's gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just the Phantom. Right. He's, he's basically the same, same dude, same guy inside and out. But uh, I found that interesting as well as the music. And I'll say this: the 2004 version is again based on Andrew Lloyd Webber's Broadway production. It features duet and these big orchestral music scores, and it's really meant to sell the musical right. part of it. In the 1925 version, it's much more somber in, in the musical tone, and it only uses a single piano playing during most of the scenes because, again, it's one of those silent movies. And I, I really like that. I think it yeah. really worked for it, and it was really effective because one thing when I was watching Creature from the Black Lagoon is it did that thing that all 1950s movies do. They must just have like three dudes on a trumpet standing in the corner and whenever something happens it's just like do 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 and it's just like deafening and it's like that's all they do. Calm down. This this is not at all scary. This is not suspenseful. But with a single piano just kind of I think back to like John Carpenter's Halloween score. This is kind of like that. It's in the same vein and the music really underpins the suspense Hmm. in the movie in a way that you don't see in like even movies created like 25 30 years later which i thought was kind of cool and uh since this is a silent film i will say that moviegoers in the 1920s they had their work cut out for them when it came to reading all right because the way these movies were set up is they would just show people kind of moving their mouth but not really saying anything and then it would cut to like a slide that you had to read right and yeah. to understand what was going on nobody actually talked this was prior to the days of the talkies right yes, we, yep. we, we talked about this before and in some cases there were two full paragraphs to read on each slide with like only one to two minutes of movie footage interwoven between and the paragraphs would contain difficult to pronounce names and titles and in this case they were like in french so i found myself wow. you know as someone who feels like you know i i know how to read okay you know, <laughs> i was kind of struggling a little bit to keep pace i mean they were going on with the the raouls and the the countesses and, and all this stuff and i was i was kind of struggling i think I'd, i would always find myself like trying to predict what dialogue would be coming <laughs> right like based on the scene What's you know, about to say they look mad she looks happy or whatever yeah. and then you know try to predict what's what what's he the gonna words say? are gonna be up there yeah that's pretty cool now the creepiness factor of this movie what was pretty high because there's something unsettling about the way characters in silent movies move and the way they have to kind of exaggerate their expressions because they're not actually saying anything and i think a lot of the actors back in this time whenever they move to the talkies later and people actually said things they lost their roles because they really just had you know like the body image that's kind of what they did yeah 
Sure, but they didn't have like the language or, you know, just the the way they would say things wasn't right. wasn't well honed. It comes across here because you can tell they're not really saying the things that pop up on the slides. <laughs> it, it, I, I question like, what are they really saying? Because it's almost like they just smile and move their lips. They probably are. And kind of wag their head back and forth, you know, and it's really exaggerated. It almost seems sped up. And it, it's really just kind of creepy in its own right. There's one scene where a man raises a curtain and behind it, we find that another man has been strangled and hung from the ceiling by the phantom. And we only see the man's shadow. But somehow what's not seen is, is even yeah. scarier than oh, if yeah. they showed it. And I can't imagine they would be allowed to show it right. back then because we talked about the scene in Dracula where the guy comes out. It's just like, oh, no, vampires are real. Cut it out. Cut it out, <laughs> yeah, buddy. Too, too much. Don't say that. But we, we literally have like a guy hanging from the rafters or at least a yeah. shadow in this one. So it's creepy. It's interesting. And um, I have to say that it surprised me. So well done. Well done, Phantom of the Opera. Our next creature is the mummy. The or, mummy. Or is it the daddy? Right. Uh, it could be the daddy, but I'm going to go with the mummy. Okay. I think. Yeah. So the mummy came out in 1932, right on the hills of, of Dracula and, and Frankenstein. And this movie starred, again, uh, Boris. Karloff, who starred in Frankenstein. And what was interesting is that no one really had ever heard of uh, Boris Karloff uh, oh, really? when, when Frankenstein came out. And I just course, assumed he was a big deal. No, apparently he did a lot of like uh, Broadway plays and those type of things. Uh, but Frankenstein was his first big movie. But then literally one year later, okay, so you know, they introduced him as Frankenstein. One year later, it was just Karloff is the mummy. I mean, mm. you know, in one year, he became like Elvis or Madonna or, you know what I mean? He, he was just, just Karloff. One name. He okay. was Karloff. Yeah. So, you know, they, they would advertise this movie as Karloff is the mummy. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, and if, if you've, have you ever seen this movie? I've seen pieces of it. You've I've seen, seen it all the way through. Yeah. I've seen most of it. Uh, it. It's been a while since I've seen it. I did do, you know, obviously some research on it. Uh, the makeup is pretty cool. Uh, for it the is. 1930s, yeah, and for two different reasons, you know, early on in the movie, there's there's this expedition team right there in Egypt. Uh, they're actually in the Mojave Desert in California, is where it was filmed. But, oh, not Egypt, uh, not Egypt, but okay. but we'll say we're in Egypt, sure. And they find the sarcophagus of uh, Emotep. Right, mm-hmm. so there's this Egyptian king Emotep, and they uh, they find him, they open him up, there he is, and then there's like this scroll. So obviously, you know, there's only one or two people there who can read hieroglyphics, right? And of course, let's read it because Out why loud, would you not? Yeah, let's make sure that the moon is full and bright, and let's all maybe poke our fingers and touch each <laughs> touch each other's blood as we read it or something. You know, so well, they, of course, I mean, what else would you do? <laughs> I just feel compelled to do this. Sure. I don't know. So they read it. Sure enough, guess what? Emotep wakes up, right? Oh. And so, it, and the mummy obviously is is Karloff. And uh, in the movie, one interesting fact about this that it took him eight hours to have mm-hmm. the makeup put on, and basically it was just like dried bandages and different things that they would put on. But it, it, he wasn't wrapped up like like tissue paper, like we would think of as sort of like mm-hmm. a sort of a, a kiddish type of mummy, right? It very much looked like his skin. Now he had the rags on, but his face looked very different, especially for the 1930s. And the makeup, again, it, it took eight hours. And to me, that was incredible. I mean, I think that was every bit as impressive as, that is. you know, Frankenstein was was cool, but you could tell there were some definitely some definite things going on there, right? The platform mm-hmm. shoes, something they put on top of the head. Karloff, you could tell it was Karloff. I mean, looking at his face but it looked so deteriorated and it was just you know it was it was something to, to behold and so basically what happens is he wakes up he takes the the scrolls and he kind of just vanishes right and so everyone's like oh my gosh we've just witnessed a mummy wake up and take this and he's gone and what are we going to do now mm. and 
So in the movie, 11 years later, a new expedition team led by the son of one of the earlier uh, folks in, in, in the expedition, they show back up, and lo and behold, there is an interesting new Egyptian walking around, and his name is Ardeth Bay. Okay. Ardeth Bay, and of course, this is the mummy, all right? Mm-hmm. So he has basically become pretty much human. And so he's after, you know, he needs, he needs a girlfriend, right? You know, he needs, he needs his bride. So he's trying to figure out a way to bring her back uh, to life in the middle of this movie. But he still looks a little bit rotted. A little mummish. (laughs) Just a little mummish. But 85% he's okay. I mean, he he would pass muster, as they say, right? Okay. All right. But you can still tell something's a little bit different. He's got like a roll of toilet paper hanging out of his boot or something. (laughs) Every once in a while, dust will just come out one nostril as he talks or whatever. Something interesting about this, and I, I, I appreciated this. So Ardeth Bay is an anagram for death by raw. I was hoping it was. I love that. That's great. <laughs> I bet you were praying for something I was, like that. I was like, man, man, please let this. So death by raw, huh? De- death by raw. So that, so they come up. So the, the mummy. Th- does that come out in the movie, or is that just something to know? I think it's just something to know. I don't think it comes okay. out. Not that, I can, not that I can remember, anyway. <laughs> you just see uh, somebody sitting there kind of unscrambling this, and they're like, you just see this expression. What's this say? Arby's? No, not Arby's. Not Arby's. Alaska? No, no. There's an A. I don't know. It says death by R. Who's R? (laughs) We have a raw. (laughs) Okay, I'll take raw. Raw sounds good. Do they worship raw in California? Not in the Mojave Desert. I don't know. There might be one person out there. I don't know. Okay, maybe with some with some uh, you know uh, some uh, cacti around them or whatever, howling at the moon. The 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 makeup. Okay, the the storyline is is is. Pretty cool. All right. I, I mean, like that. That's good. It's pretty neat. And of course, you know, this has been redone several times over the last, you know, few years. Yeah. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, he was in it. Fact. Is it Brendan Fraser? Uh, yep, Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser's mm-hmm. in it. I'll be honest, I like those movies. It's perfectly fine. Now the CGI is terrible, but the movie's fine. But the movie's fine. It's kind of funny. It's entertaining. There's some there's some jump scares kind of in it in a comical way. Sure. You know? uh, but but the original in 1932, again, the makeup was off the charts in my opinion for for that particular so. time yeah. period. I don't really think. Again, I don't think it's scary. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. going back to what you had asked there originally, I don't really think the mummy is scary. I think it's sort of just interesting kind of it's almost like a historical fiction piece or yeah. something and you know i don't really think it's like a horror for some reason and mm-hmm. so when we talk about all of these folks the mummy ranks down low for me as far as the the classical monsters but of course you know he's really easy to recognize yeah you can point yeah. him out I, there's an episode of the office and i always go back to the office because <laughs> there's always some quotable office material right. but there's a character called kevin and he's like the <laughs> the lovable doofus kind of yeah, guy oh, yeah. you know and they're it's a halloween episode and they're talking about about monsters and somebody says something about vampires and he, you know vampires aren't real yeah of course they're not real kevin or whatever and then they say something about the mummy and he's like mummies aren't real and they're like well yeah yeah mummies are a real thing and he's like wait what and <laughs> he's like and they're like no for real like you can go to museums and there are See one today they're actual mummies and he's like why would people keep mummies <laughs> It's just, it's great. I just imagine, you know, Boris Karloff in one of these museums. It's good stuff. But uh, yeah, the mummy's great. And I I read somewhere that in, I don't don't think it was in the first one, but in one of the many sequels, because this was a big one. They did like three or four sequels with just the mummy. And they went through and they, they sort of hand painted his eyes black 
in each of the on on the film strip meticulously like frame by frame really? to, to get that look to where he just has these blacked just out dark dead peoples. yeah yeah i thought that was kind of interesting that is kind of cool that's a little cool. bit different but jason up next and finally we have the wolfman so uh, I like he, the Wolfman. Do you know the Wolfman? I do. I'm a fan of the Wolfman. I like Wolfman. He he's had all kinds of iterations over the years. My favorite though is probably Michael J. Fox's Teen Wolf. Did you ever see this? <laughs> oh, I was a big time. <laughs> yeah. Is there anyone more '80s than than, than oh, Michael no. J. Fox? No. I mean, you've got you know Back to the Future, yeah. Teen Wolf. He is Mr. '80s. He should have been president. He should have been like Ronald Reagan's <laughs> vice president. So he should have been. Yeah, and he'll forever be 16 years old in my book. I mean, I know he's probably however old he is now, but he's 16. Wherever he's at right now, he's just a 16 year old yep. kid. He's flying on a hoverboard looking for Doc Brown. Yeah, come I on, mean, Doc. <laughs> that's, that's what's up. He's forever young. Yeah, it's getting heavy around here, Doc. Uh, <laughs> I like that scene in the movie where Doc Brown. You know, he keeps saying, "Why do you keep saying things are heavy?" He's like, "In the future, is there some gravitational force that's in?" flux or yeah. <laughs> it's good. I like that but the wolfman was released in 1941 as mentioned earlier the film stars lon cheney jr in the title role and i just watched this one today i'd seen it in bits and pieces over the years but i watched it in full effect today it holds up really well man yeah i really like this one lon cheney yeah. jr is a good actor yeah and it's weird to me because these 1950 movies obviously there's like a difference in the way people try to act it's almost yes. like have you noticed that like in yeah. in modern times it's like acting is a little more subtle almost yeah. they don't go over the top of trying to sell it right lon cheney jr had a hint of that subtleness of like yeah. a modern day actor and i can almost see how this was like a movie like out a trans- of time yeah it's almost like a transitional piece yeah between kind of like you know how how folks did act mm-hmm. and how folks would be acting in the very near future that's how i felt in a way it. yeah so the plot is after the death of his brother larry talbot returns to wales to reconcile with his father while there, uh, he visits an antique shop and buys a silver walking cane with the silver head of a wolf on top. Do you remember this? I love it. It's good. Yep. That same night, Larry is attacked by a wolf, and he kills the creature with the walking stick. And keep that walking stick in mind. It's going to come back uh, here in just a minute. But not before being bitten in the chest by the wolf, which I would say is probably the worst place to be bitten. <laughs> just, you know, I mean... Like bite a finger, bite a toe, but man, your chest. Like, you know, maybe even the foot or He's a got, hand. Like, bury his snout in there yeah, a little I mean, bit. That's that's a pretty uh, that's a tough place to to receive a bite. That sure it is. Seems like that the the nose protruding would hurt worse <laughs> than the bite. He's got to be like three inches deep just to get to the teeth, <laughs> but that's that's where he's bitten. Uh, Larry finds that the wolf he killed is actually a man named Bella, played by. Bella Lugosi. Well, that's so, convenient. That's pretty cool. And a fortune teller explains that it was her son, a werewolf, that was killed and that Larry is now one himself. And it's really nice that she explains that for him. <laughs> well, what we got here, Larry. <laughs> yeah. It's See, like, what do we got? Because right now I've got like an infection going in my chest region. <laughs> what can you tell me about this? You have a level two that uh, infection that's going to require some 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 heavy antibiotics. But but actually, uh, you, you're probably just going to have to be shot because you're a werewolf. <laughs> but in the end, Larry, in his werewolf form, is killed by his father using that same walking stick. The werewolf turns back into his human form. Everybody laments the fact, oh, that's Larry. And the movie ends with the police on their way. I mean, wow. it's uh, climactic. Have, have you ever watched, uh, I, I think the name of it is just The Wolfman with, with Anthony Hopkins and uh, Benicio Del Toro? I don't think so, no. That's awesome. Is it pretty good? That is, yeah. Is it based on this at it's, all? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it's almost... Uh, 
I mean, verbatim. I mean, from, I guess, well, not verbatim, but almost. Is Anthony Hopkins the, the wolf man? Scene from scene. Well, uh, kind of, yeah, I know. Yeah, he, he ends okay. up, he's he's sort of the bad wolf of the movie that is, oh, that's killing people. Twist, huh? But you don't know that till the end. Is and, Edward Cullen in it? And then, uh, no, he's not. <laughs> I don't guess so. But uh, Del Toro plays his son. He bites his son. Uh-huh. Uh, then he ends up becoming a wolf, and then he finds out his father was the wolf, and uh, and they and they have you know they have the uh, the cane in it, and you know a lot of like you know different sort of allusions to silver and the full moon, and mm-hmm. but but you have Anthony Hopkins that's in it, and so if uh, if you know, any of our listeners have not ha- hasn't watched if they haven't watched the Wolf Man with those two, I highly recommend it. I love it. That is a really honestly really really good movie. I love that. All right, I'm going to go back to Team Wolf just for a second. Well, I don't know why we wouldn't. <laughs> So whenever Michael J. Fox is turning into the wolf for the first time in Team Wolf, he's like in the bathroom of his house and he's, yeah. he just sees like he's like sprouting these teeth and this hair is growing and it's playing all this 80s music. And then his dad is outside the door and he's like, what's going on in there, Scott? You know, and he's like, oh, dad, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> and he's like, I think I would, son. Just open the door up. And he's like, no, dad, not this time. And he even looks at the mirror and I remember remember this because i watched this movie so many times he says geez louise <laughs> just, and then finally finally he's like son scott you open that door right now or i'm coming in there buddy and he's like all right dad you asked for it and he's like he's fully a werewolf at this right. point you know uh so he opens the door he kind of braces himself for his dad just to yell at him and his dad's standing there and he's a werewolf and he's got like the gray hair, and it's great. He's like, but he looks like a Pomeranian. He's <laughs> just like all poofy on his face. He's like, son, we need to talk. And he's holding like a cup of coffee, whatever. Yeah, yeah. just like this is normal. Yeah. Welcome to the werewolf family. Oh, you know? So funny. It's great. And obviously, it all takes its roots right here in the original 1941 Wolfman. And there's a poem that's repeated throughout the entire movie. And it's so bizarre because all the characters in this little town know this poem and they just keep quoting it over and over Uh, and it goes if a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright and it's just like everybody knows this poem and and this guy who's the newcomer to town this talbot uh he he goes up to people and they're just you know they say oh is that wolf's bane blooming over there and he's like i have no idea what's wolf's bane. right you say so and they're like well as a matter of fact even of a man uh even a man who is pure in heart <laughs> and says his prayers by night and he's like oh all right and then he like meets somebody else and they say the same thing and he's like so you know that too, huh? And he's like, roses are red. Yeah. <laughs> Violets are blue. It's almost like he's in on the joke, though, because right. he, he just he's like playing along with the audience. He's like, why does everybody know this poem? You know, and I think somebody, even uh, the girl actually makes a comment. She's like, well, everybody knows about werewolves. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Like, it's like what? it's like Kevin. <laughs> What's about going the mummy? On? Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, werewolves are real. Who keeps werewolves around? <laughs> um, but there's one scene that I thought was particularly kind of weird. It's a telescope scene, and if you've seen the movie, you know that his dad is like some kind of astronomer, scientist, yep. something. He has his own observatory, yep. right? And he goes into this lab or this observatory room with like this huge, like 25 foot long telescope, and it's not pointed at the stars, Jason. It's like pointed down at the town. Like down at the city, and it even shows him he's like looking through it, trying to fix the lens, and he sees like the townspeople. Like he's using this telescope to like look at people in the town, and when he does, he becomes fixated on the upstairs bedroom 
of a woman and it's kind of a weird scene she's just sitting there and she's playing with her jewelry and stuff and who knows how far away this guy is he's like up on a mountaintop 10 miles away like looking down at her and he decides he's going to go down and meet this woman like oh let's go find out what she's about and it's kind of got a creepy (laughs) vibe to it he's like no I was watching you from my telescope (laughs) up on the (laughs) (laughs) well here's the weird thing about it so she runs an antique shop right and it's her bedroom's up above the antique shop so he goes to the antique shop he goes in just like you say he knocks he goes in and whenever he gets there he asks if he can buy the jewelry that's laying on a table in her bedroom oh lord and she just looks at him (laughs) it's the scariest part of the movie yeah and she's you know she's like what in the world who is this guy and she says something like perhaps my father can help you out then (laughs) there's like this moment of like recognition of all right this guy's being a creep i'm calling dad i need to kind of get away from him for a minute but i just found that scene kind of kind of weird they play it off like he's being a smooth talker yeah you know like yeah i I can tell your fortune baby you know that's got (laughs) that's the vibe he's putting off in the the, uh, the anthony hopkins movie that i was talking about uh anthony hopkins has a big uh telescope in his living room okay and he uses it to basically just look up at the moon and he talks to his son about you know the moon's a very powerful thing (laughs) you know lawrence and his son's like geez louise (laughs) (laughs) yeah so uh, another thing about this movie is they make a big deal about the pentagram all right and every werewolf is cursed by a pentagram and it appears the symbol of the pentagram appears in the palm of the hand of the next victim which i thought was kind of a unique plot point that's something i've not really heard before there's one scene where bella lugosi who's like being a fortune teller looks at a, a woman's palm and it has the pentagram in it and he's a werewolf, but he's not turned into one yet. So he's like, I, I can't tell you anything. You need to go away right now. And she's like, what? Did you see something evil in my palm? And he said, you just need to leave. And and she does. And she runs away. And of course, he becomes a werewolf, chases her down and kills her. Wow. And, and, and he's the same wolf, of course, that gets after Talbot. And, hmm. you know, that's that's yeah. how all that goes down. But the last thing I'll say about this movie is in regard to the makeup. We talked about the mummy's makeup. Uh, putting on the makeup for the wolfman took six hours and another three hours were required to get the makeup off at the conclusion of shooting so imagine sitting in a chair for six straight hours having rubber prosthetics and yak hairs applied to your face i mean it just sounds like a a bad time i don't like it but the actor who played the wolfman and his makeup artist hated each other by the end of the production and that's how the story goes jason we've been through most of the movie monsters are there any we left out or anything we should mention here at the end before we close up uh none that really i can think of i think that's all the major ones you know definitely i mean obviously you know dracula the vampire i think he's he's sort of the top but he is a classical movie monster with the the, the european cape and the you know i am dracula and that type of thing but but really monsters i think more of like frankenstein and, yeah. and wolfman or at least i do i do too last thing i'll say is when i was a kid i had a coloring book of the universal classic movie monsters. Oh, really? I sure did. And back then, I thought the objective of a coloring book was to finish it. Oh, okay. (laughs) All right. So I got this coloring book when I was a kid and sat down in like an hour and a half and went through every single page. It had like Dracula, it had Frankenstein, the mummy, and I colored every single picture and it was terrible. It was awful, but I was like really compelled. For some reason, this is the only time I remember this happening, to finish that coloring book and i went through every single page drew it just up from start from just at one sitting yeah in one sitting colored oh. every single page i tore it out and started putting it uh with pieces of tape up on the wall yeah <laughs> and my mom saw that and she was like um well that's it for coloring books 
<laughs> here's a here's a My Little Pony <laughs> yeah. coloring book. Yeah, I'm tired of looking at this wolf man yeah. up here on the on the staircase. But uh, yeah, th- th- that was my first impression of classic movie monsters. I don't know if you remember, but they used to also appear like on the back of Pepsi cartons and movie uh, and uh, Mountain Dew cartons. Yes. Do you remember oh those? yeah, yeah. They had the Wolf Man, the Mummy, Dracula. Mm-hmm. All yeah, of that them. that was a pretty cool thing that they did there. And then also, I don't know if you ever watched a movie called Monster Squad. I've, I've heard of it. I don't there know was a movie one. that came out sometime in the 80s, and I think maybe mid to late 80s. Uh, they're all here. Uh, Dracula's here, the Wolfman, the Mummy, all, all the folks. And uh, basically these, you know, they come from like some kind of portal or interdimension hmm. thing, and, and these kids have to basically put them back, right? Okay. And so it's, it's, it's sort of a Goonies meets a horror type thing. It's it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. I'm thankful for these movies. I'm glad they exist. I'm glad to go back and visit them from time to time. I think they're they're really fun in their own classical kind of way. Yeah. So fun episode. I'm glad oh, we did yeah. this. Thanks to all of our listeners for uh, listening to the podcast. We encourage you to subscribe, share it with a friend. Also follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at slapdashpod. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Stay out of those lagoons. Oh.